Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. The wrap-up to our podcast with the popular number of 52 is here. And in it, Graham McMillan and I continue to answer questions from listeners on Twitter with topics like Chris Robertson's Superman, recommendations for crazy Silver Age DC stories, New Marvel, comic book movies, Bendis and Ultimate Fallout, New Dark Avengers, Wally Gropius, what 2012 might hold in store for the comics industry, confusion about Marvel and comicsology, the Legion of Superheroes, who is doing things right in comics and who is doing things wrong, and, believe it or not, much, much more. We hope you enjoy it, and as always, thanks for listening. Oh, I have got to tell you, I was rereading Chris Robin's Superman 1. Oh, yeah, I still haven't read... Have you picked up that last issue? I haven't yeah, picked yeah. it up. See, uh, and there is uh, an exchange in Roberson's first issue that I didn't realize how important it was for the remainder of the story. But also completely speaks to what I'm complaining about with Cap here. Uh-huh. Lois says, if I didn't know better, this is, remember, Superman has been around for like six years as being JMSified and essentially right. being like an asshole. Right. Lois says, if I didn't know better, I'd swear that you'd really had been turned evil again by Red Kryptonite. And Superman says, not evil, just realistic. Uh, and that's a fucking smart line. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially like for, really the, for the remain, for like for the next seven issues, mm-hmm. it is very much taking Superman out of realism. And being like, yeah. here's, super, here's why Superman as a symbol is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd love that. Not evil, just realistic. That's yeah. such a good line. Yeah, exactly. And completely sneaks past you in first read. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you're like, so. just being a dick again. Mm-hmm, oh, it's mm-hmm. honestly, I read that, I saw it, and I was like, you fucking genius. Yeah. You sneaky, sneaky bastard. Yeah, that's really fucking brilliant. Mm. We're doing this thing where we're not talking about the questions anymore. I know, and therefore okay. ensuring we end up with a five-hour... And I'm looking at my it, my thing. I've seen questions that you apparently seem to have Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. So what have I missed? Okay. Uh, Candy Apple Alley asked, might be too late, but I need to pick up some good, crazy-ass DC Silver Age comics. Where do I start? Showcase Metamorpho. Or Showcase uh, Brave and Bold. Yeah, I would say Showcase Brave and the Bold. Uh, showcase... Uh, David Uzumari actually linked her to showcase Superman Family Volume 1. I think the hijinks really start in Volume 2. I think all of the Silver Age Superman showcases are, oh, are fantastic. Are awesome. yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, this might or may not be popular, showcase Teen Titans Volume 2. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because is... you kind of get, you start off with some Bob any craziness. Yes. Um, but also you've got some Neil Adams in their writing and drawing. You've got uh-huh. some Gil Kane art, you've got some great Nick Hardy art, but also you yeah. go into the relevant period of the Teen Titans, uh-huh. which yes. is Silver Age Wackiness of a different stripe, but uh-huh. completely worth paying attention to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so yes, I, that's actually a good call. There's probably some other ones, but like a lot of those showcases have some really great and weird wild stuff. But I, 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 Oh, and Justice League, Justice League of America. You want to point her to like volume four and five i guess uh, that, that, where it goes kind of crazy um yeah. sure yeah four and five or five more than four or five of which we've talked about in this podcast before has some truly crazy uh sort of i want to say post silver age but you know 1960s relevance mm-hmm. which just reads incredibly crum uh crummily now 
Yeah, it really doesn't hold up well, but it's fascinating to look at. Whereas I think that actually both Brave and the Bold and Superman, for example, are stuff that that, that still works. does hold up. Yeah. yeah, it still works and is also insane. So, but it's and I, you never I'd get say, a I'd feeling say, of. Like, I'd say if if Allison's only picking up one mm-hmm. of the Brave and the Bolds, go for Volume Three. Yeah. Well, wait. Let me see. Which volume one. Three is the one that has Green Lantern uh, defecting to. Is it China? Defecting to some communist country, and it's also got the Batman on drugs story. Right. Um. Yeah, I'm not... Hold on. I, fuck, fuck you, Amazon. I had to put in Showcase in there or else you won't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, Volume like, 2. Volume 2 is also awesome. Right. Oh, my God. Somebody's got a car alarm that's going off I can the hear street. It. <laughs> I, really? Jesus, I am about to lose my fucking mind. I cannot <laughs> believe. Um, volume 2 is great. Volume 3 is great. And Volume 4, whatever the one... I thought is this was vol- the cover. Wait, is there a Volume 4? Is there Brave and Bull Volume 4? I thought there was, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's maybe there's just three. Hold oh, DC Comics! If you saw a volume four, I know what else I am buying when I go to the store today. Yeah, no shit. Uh, what's what's the? Is this the one? Which is the one where? Um, holy shit! It's still going on. I'm actually <laughs> losing my fucking mind. It's got to be volume three then, because it's the one where it's like Batman and Wildcat and the Joker sets them it's, up it's in a volume, boxing it's volume thing. Three. That is that yeah. Volume three is one of the great achievements of comic book civilization. I think I I loved every page of that fucking volume. It was fantastic. Uh, okay, let's see. What other questions did you miss? Um, okay, so there was that one. There was Bob. Uh, what are your the last few months? What happened to Michael Fleischer? Uh, just out of curiosity. Oh, right. Okay. So, you know, so, I take it back. That was the Detective Comms' favorite okay. B- Batman storyline. So, you saw Al's. Yes. From House so, to looking Astonish. back to that era now, was the Jameson Casada team a good thing for Marvel? Yes. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in both senses of the word, in, in that it made it financially viable. Yeah. It was, it was, from a business perspective, it was, from a, it was yeah. amazingly important for Marvel. Yeah, but frankly, there was some really good stuff that came out of there that we haven't seen since. Yeah, I, that you really had to have to think, wow, it was Bill Jameis then. Bill Jameis was the one who didn't know enough about comics to allow some of this shit to happen. Right, right. So, And as you said, I, I have on numerous occasions been tempted to try and get in touch with Bill Jameis now to do an interview with him about that. Just be like, you, should. you know, what happened? So I'm sure he would talk about it, right? Well, you know, he really did. He he made the mistake of shit. Well, it's interesting. The whole idea that he like shit on a retailer so badly that that retailer complained and basically Jameis got fired is. I find it hard to believe that that was a hundred percent of the. Yeah, story. I I don't I don't think it is. You know what I mean? I I really was like at the time I was like, well, there you go. I would but, be really 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 surprised if it's not some sort of personality conflict with Abby Arad. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so too. Uh, and that would make a lot of sense, actually. That's a very nice little theory. Um, Rick Van says, dream comic book movies. Yeah, do we have dream comic book movies? Um, um, I would love to see a... If it's not a movie, I'd love to see a really well done Mr. Miracle Saturday morning TV show. Right. 
Yeah, and I feel the same for Commandy. Like, get Bruce Tim on that Commandy show that Wait, he's wanted. That, to that do he's always, yeah, he's really wants to do it for his entire career. Yeah. Um, like, movies, movies. I think you could do a great Commandy movie, actually. You know, Commandy, Commandy would be kind of interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think that. I don't know now with the Planet of the Apes thing. Yeah, do it. Do it as some sort of knockoff. Um, Gosh, you know, we've sort of talked about to, to, some, do of this our... some sort of knockoff. Yes, because Commandy was never a knockoff of Planet of the Apes. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, doing it as a movie now, people will be like, wait, what are you? I think like, you sure. should be like, yes, yes, it yes. is. As it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end. And by the end, we mean the multiplex. Oh, you know what I'd want? I'd want mm-hmm. Catherine Immonen to write a Hellcat movie. <laughs> That would be great. Uh, it really would. I would love because I was actually rereading Harold's her like five issue miniseries the other night. Mm-hmm. Catherine, if someone could just pay Catherine Eminem to write Hellcat, just in anything on a regular basis, I'd pick it up. Right. She just she the way she handles that character. Do you remember when you were a kid? You'd have crushes in comic book characters. Yes. I totally have a mad crush on Catherine Newman and Hellcat. <laughs> Just because she's funny. She's so funny. Right, right. Yeah, that's pretty great. I actually kind of had a crush on the original Patsy Walker Hellcat, so maybe that's why I haven't looked in. I think I actually have bought, picked up Heralds as a trade at WonderCon or something. It's yeah. a be, be I picked warned. it up as a bargain somewhere. It's, and be, I be warned. It. it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I sort of expect that from Catherine Eminem, though. I haven't read a ton of her work, but it is, it's it's oddball in the extreme, you, you know? You know what the plot is, right? No. Do you want me to tell you? Or do you want to go into it completely blind? Because I went into completely blind, and honestly, by like third issue, I was like, I don't even know what this comic is anymore. Yeah, I tell you what, unspoil me on this one. I, I want to go into it blind then, because okay. that sounds okay. like great fun. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, you know, dream comic book movies are so odd. I mean, I, you know, because I always think of the superhero stuff, but then I'm always like, it'd be great to see some non-superhero books get the treatment. You know what I mean? Sort of the way that, God, American Splendor is kind of amazing, or Ghost World, you know? like I, Yeah. It's like I, I'd always love to see, like, it was so... Um, unsuccessful as a comics piece, I thought, in the long run, but I would love to see Like a Velvet Glove cast an iron um, done by, I don't know, Darren Aronofsky or somebody like that. You know, not not just a flat-out Lynch person, but somebody who can do Lynch-like material, Yeah, I think. He, he, okay, here's a weird one. I'd like to see Kevin Huizenga and or Darwin Cook make movies doesn't have to be adaptations of the comic work, but I'd like to see them make movies. Oh, interesting. That's fascinating. I've always felt that way about Jim Woodring, where I've always wanted to see, like, a Jim Woodring animated film. Yeah. God, God, a Jim Woodring animated film would blow my mind. Yeah. You'd you'd have that weird special effect that we had earlier on when something happened to my microphone again. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, one of the things I'm really happy about is that I, having, having, still not having seen Captain America yet, I'm pretty untethered from enjoying my comic books and enjoying my movies. Like, they don't necessarily link up for me, in a way. You do, know? Do, how do you think they would link up? 
Well, I just mean, I just feel like when people are like, hey, comic book movies or dream comic book movies, like, I think there's a little bit of the, at least for me, because I'm, you know, old, I remember, like, in the 70s, just longing to see, like, superheroes on TV or on the big screen, sort of as a way of validating them, I guess, and also as a way of being able to, I think maybe it was the community concept of them. You know, of like yeah, I I know what you mean. What I find interesting is when the X Men movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I hadn't been reading X Men for quite some time by that point, but I remember being embarrassed about the X Men movie. <laughs> Why? Just because of it didn't look good to you, or just the idea that you knew the X Men and you knew this movie, or all, all of that? Um, I was just kind of embarrassed it existed. Mm. I was like, this looks really self-important. This is what people are going to think comics are like. And Oh, God. <laughs> well, you you nailed that one on the head, uh, <laughs> prophecy-wise. Well, no, I mean, like, even seeing stuff like Spider-Man. I mean, I just, there was kind of a stage at which, um, and this is, I think, true every, every art, every other form of literature, well, of, of art, gets validated when it becomes a movie you know what i mean like i think we were just trained that way it's like you know the hit play is now a movie and you know the hit mo- you know the hit the book of the year is now the motion picture of the year kind of thing. That, does anyone really believe that because that's just that's the trailers do you know what i mean but i think people used to believe it there was a form of validation that was okay. offered by something becoming a movie i, mean, I, I guess it didn't mean the, there the, would be a good movie anyway the trailers but. say it because it worked yeah Right. I mean, one of the things I find fascinating and frustrating about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 1969 is that there are a number of references that work best as film references. And I was originally crabby because I only knew them as film references. So I kind of felt like it's like, I'm like, is it a little bit of a cheat to have like Michael Caine's character from Get Harry or the characters from Nicholas Rogue's performance be in... League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 1969 because they're not, it's not literature anymore. You know what I mean? Like once it becomes pop culture, it starts getting sort of twistier and naughtier, uh, like more more of a mess basically. Like you're sort of erasing the lines of of your distinctions and it makes it sloppier. And then of course not that I've looked at length in the, the annotations, but apparently Get Carter was originally a movie I mean, a book before it was a movie. Maybe that's the case with performance, you know. Uh, so I do feel like there's this weird, like, movies are kind of the be-all and end-all. Just sort of the same way that, like, being in the 70s, being a rock and roll star was bigger than being any other form of celebrity. You know what I mean? Like, movies trumped everything. And frankly, movies don't trump it. I, I was going to say anything anymore. But, you know, I mean... They're these big powerhouses. Well, so, so on what, what trumps movies now then? Well, that's a really a good question. I, it depends on how you split it. I mean, if you're talking about money, it looks like video games, and if you're talking about quality, I think almost television. I guess. But, uh, but what if you're not talking money or or quality, but you're talking cultural impact? Is that not still? It might still be movies. It probably still is movies because this stuff washes in. You know, and I do. I it's Cause, like cause suddenly... think of all the, the games that have made like an insane amount of money mm-hmm. that no one knows about. Right, exactly. 
Like you can't turn around and talk Halo and have everyone know. You know, there's very there's like maybe a handful of games where people are like, oh yes, Pac-Man. I understand. Pac-Man. Well, no, exactly. Yes, Pac-Man exists. Sure. Right. But at the same time, then they'd be like Call of Duty and. Right. The majority the stuff that's of people huge. Yeah. on the planet yeah. will say, I have no idea what that is. Is that a movie? Right. No, exactly. Um, and, and there is that weird thing. Well, that's it, though. But movies are just, they're a conduit for marketing now. You know what I mean? Like, I had this very... And, and video games aren't? Not in the same way. Be, for precisely this reason. Because when I'm sitting at my work and I... And, and I go into the work kitchen to get a soda from the refrigerator and there's the fucking Warriors 3 on the side of a Diet Dr. Pepper, like, that wouldn't be there for the video game. That's strictly there as a movie tie-in. Like, all the that Green Lantern toys, fucking Subway had that weird Green Lantern tie-in. Like, I'm getting a Subway sandwich and I realize I can get a Green Lantern reusable shopping bag. Like, Please how- tell me you did. I, Please tell me when they offered it, you're like, in brightest day and blackest night, do you bet your ass I will? Also, I'd like extra provolone on that sandwich. No, actually, I did not. <laughs> no provolone shall escape my sight. <laughs> <laughs> Let those who worship See, garlic smite. If only <laughs> they had heart. done the marketing right. That would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. Well, yeah, exactly. But even just the marketing, because seriously, I would have gotten a a Green Lantern reusable shopping bag if it hadn't been ugly as fuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just can't have the Green Lantern insignia slapped onto a basic black No, but here's the thing. You kind of could. Do you know what I mean? That would be prettier than everything they did with the movie. The movie was visually upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the movie was visually Green Lantern as a costume the Gilkane design is a mm-hmm. thing of beauty that movie is a visual abomination <laughs> something went so hideously wrong also not just that the Green Lantern characters are all really well designed and then they're like well we're making them for a movie let's add far too many textures that you don't want to see oh totally like everyone loves the Guardians of the Universe, but would love them more if they had shower caps on their heads, right? Exactly, you know? and were really veiny because yeah. that that looks realistic. Because yeah, know, yeah, everyone who isn't blue has a lot of veins on their <laughs> Wait, heads. It's just well established scientific fact, you know. They're blue like because they're cold, and so the veins come through. Yeah, exactly. Oh hey, Julian Lewis Blair, or maybe Louis? Who knows? Blair. Uh, says, because I'm getting back to the questions because we're getting way off topic now. <laughs> oh, for sure. In Powers, Bendis skillfully depicts horrific superhero deaths and yet kills off Spider-Man in an emotionless spectacle. Discuss. I'll discuss that for you. Julie. Please do. This is what happens when Brian Michael Bendis has a story that he wants to write versus a story that Mark Miller comes up with and then Tom Brevoort says, you pretty much have to do this or someone else is going to do this. And then, two weeks later... Joe Casada says, Tom Brevoort's misremembering, I came up with that idea. I love that. Wasn't that amazing? The Joe Casada spin right down to, oh, and if Brian had been okay with it, we never would have done it. We would have killed the idea right there. Here's Whereas the thing, Tom thing Joe, I don't believe you. You're yeah. not actually involved in the day-to-day editing anymore. I think I'll trust the editors of the books. Especially when they're saying things like, if they didn't like it, we'd put someone else on there. 
uh, like the, uh, those weird moments where Tom Brevoort's talking is like, I don't understand what everyone's so upset about. This is comics. It's a business. It's a comic book business, you know, um, which, you know, is probably why we keep fascinating. Oh, but, but yeah, Joe like, like, thing was just. But but that's that's why it is. Why does Bendis make it an emotional spectacle? Because that was his job. He he had to write it as a spectacle. He was not emotionally invested in it. Well, and I think there's also something to be said. Although I could be wrong, I it, that's it was really done kind of blah. But it was also it's very blah in the movie way. You know what I mean? Like. Powers has always been a little bit more subversive. I think it's Powers is more incredibly an FX dull. series, right? <laughs> well said, sir. Well said. Uh, you know where it's kind of like okay, we're taking yeah, it's like we're taking this stuff and it's it's edgier. But Ultimate Spider-Man, the death of Ultimate Spider-Man, really read like it's trying to be the last act of a big budget Hollywood movie, and so therefore seems kind of. Bloodless and ballless, I guess. You know? Can I just say the ultimate fallout? Uh, first of all, the first issue of that should have been the last issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. There oh, yeah? is, I mean, there is no way that you can convince me that that was not the wrong decision. Hmm. Um, if only because it provides everything that I was missing from that Ultimate Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Ultimate Fallout as a series overall has just been a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because you know Marvel used to do like a big event and then have like a one shot that was like here's what's coming up in our new books yes imagine that as a six issue series and that's what Ultimate Fallout is uh, really yeah. Mm. It's, yeah it's it's just it's horrible and mm-hmm. like some of the things just make no sense mm-hmm. and are given no context either Jonathan Hickman does a, a I presume it's a, an Ultimate's plot which has something to do with Ultimate Reed Richards and as someone who hasn't been keeping track of Ultimate Reed Richards, I have no fucking idea what happened. Oh, interesting. I remember Joe Casada babbling on and on about it and how it was a great moment, and I'm like, that doesn't even sound... I don't even know what he's talking about. You, you, you should read the comic. You still don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm not joking. I don't know what happened. Really? I, I, I do not know, and I'm not a stupid person. I can tell you that Reed Richards is floating in space, then he's uh-huh. somewhere else presumably Earth, and then he meets lots of people in a, uh, a weird costume. That's it. That's all I can actually tell you that I'm sure happened. What? And that's... What? That's wow. it. And that's like six pages? It's a mess of a comic. Mm. It's, it's horrible. It's as if everyone's like, I've got a great idea. Let's start off all our new stories early, but let's give everyone treating it no idea what's actually happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's so Marvel. I just don't pay much attention to so much of their stuff. And yeah, I, there, to me, there's never a better sign of a, of a money waster than, you know, the one shot, you know, the road to blah, blah, blah begins here. Well, that, know, that's so. what Ultimate Fallout is. Our full title, Ultimate Fallout, Spider-Man No More. Slightly disproven by issue four's invention of a brand new Spider-Man. <laughs> well, because Peter Parker no more just doesn't have the same. That's just it. Death of Spider-Man should be called Death of Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. You know, because Spider-Man isn't actually dead. There's another Spider-Man. Spider-Man is an idea, not a person. And if there's a new Spider-Man, then Spider-Man isn't dead. 
just saying. Rick Vance, on a similar uh, subject, says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how terrible an idea is this? And then links to the Who Are the New Dark Avengers teaser that Marvel released today. Yeah. I said yeah. I said it in Blogging News Rama, and I'll say it again. There is actually literally nothing original about that teaser. <laughs> I'm not joking. The Dark Avengers we've seen before. Also, yes. the Dark Avengers we all got sick of, Mm-hmm. And they haven't even been out of the toy box for 18 months. I'm thinking that actually people ended up really enjoying Dark Avengers, which is why they're bringing him back. And by no, I, no, I, I th- just don't think it was Brian Bendis. I think I don't. sales might have been strong, but I think mm-hmm. sales were strong because it was an event. Well, we're about to find out. No, because it's, um, it's New Avengers. It'll still sell fine. But anyway, yeah. Norman Osborn, we've seen him be the big bad before. Right. Who are the is the Marvel thing? Who are the worthy? Who are the mighty? Who are the new X Men? Who are the uncanny sure. X Men? Who, are, who the, are the secret Avengers? Et yeah, cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and new something we had new Avengers. We had Fantastic Four for a bit. Yeah. It's just there's nothing original about the teaser. It's the teaser. I'm convinced is either set up for a punchline of you thought you knew what we were doing because everything was recycled here's what it really is, or it's, we're spinning our wheels. Oh, the other thing is, who are the new Dark Avengers? They've just come out with the new Dark Avengers, but they're calling them the Revengers, and they're advertising that comic at the same time. <laughs> so That's they're the spinning wheels within wheels. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, we need a bad guy Avengers. Okay, we've got the Revengers. Yeah, but we've also got the Dark Avengers. Uh... Let's put them both out. I know they're both written by the same guy. Who you think might have noticed this crossover. Um, but let's just put them all out and see if anyone notices. Yeah. Holy crap. How, how it's, on a scale of 1 to 10, how terrible an idea is it? It's a 10. Yeah. Sell fine, because it's New Avengers. It's a terrible idea. Well, okay. I, I have to then give it an 8 or a 9. Because if it sells okay, really, you can only... You've got, you can't put it as a... Perfect 10 is... Horrible idea, horribly executed, that does not sell, and in a true 10 potential, actually takes out a portion of the comic book market with it. Okay, then. Okay, it's a nine. Okay, I think that's (laughs) Fine. Mark O'Connor says, explain any of the jokes in Wally Gropius to me. Go for it. Um... I haven't read it still. Oh, God. Wally Gropius just depressed the shit out of me. Um, Explain any of the jokes. Okay. I really like the aesthetic of 1950s humor comics, but I wish they were riskier and thought about sex like I do. Wait, I've got a great idea for a book. The end. Andrew Foley says, something with waffles. I know you guys like talking about them, and I'm too groggy to come up with an actual question. Luckily, we did that. Adam Nave then responded, if the JLA were waffles, what toppings would they have? Hmm. Jeff, I've I've just taken the last two questions. It's time for you to be a loudmouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll try and do it's this. It's on the subject of waffles, so go. All right. Let's try and do this quickly. Uh, I guess um, Martian Manhunter would have some sort of chocolate syrup. Uh, I think that uh, Wonder have, Woman. Doesn't marshmallow? Mar- uh, marshmallow Manhunter? Oh, oh, Marshmallow Manhunter? Oh, dude, wait. You're going into a totally different weird <laughs> That would be great, though. Like, if the JLA were foodstuffs, I would totally be all over that for a while. Um, Green lantern lettuce? I'm just going to let you go on for a while. (laughs) I'm done. 
No, are you sure? Because this sounds pretty good. Uh, let's see. Uh, right, Green Lantern. I'll go with Mint Jelly. Um, uh, Wonder Woman. For some reason, she strikes me as a Loganberry Jam sort of person. Uh, I uh, think Batman. That, you know, Batman's a tough one for me. I'm saying some, I'm saying some sort of cherry thing. Do you? Yeah. See, because I'm thinking, okay, Superman would have to be just plain old, good old American, quote unquote, maple syrup. Yes, yes. But but Batman would have to be weird. I think it would. Whatever, think it would, whatever the Flash is, it's got to be something you can eat on the run. Oh right. Okay, so it can't be what really. It can't be stuff that falls off. No. Um, maybe maybe just like a sugar token. Yeah, I can see. Well, actually, yeah. See the powder. That would be great with the trail of powdered sugar all see, across. It like, works. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah, um, that's pretty good. I, w- I was going to say something like peanut butter for Batman, but honestly, the real answer is whatever topping he needs to win. Of course. <laughs> I thought you were going to say pain and misery. <laughs> pain and misery. I'll have a waffle topped with upset and angst. Exactly. Hey, did you Unless Grant Morrison's writing me, in which case, supposedly I'm... Yes? You've just reminded me, did you see the um, the updated DC FAQs for the, the new 52 books? No. There's this great thing where it's, it's like, why are there so many Robins? And the answer is genuinely, Rob, Robin is an intern program. No, they didn't say that. No, they did they? They really did. You're stunned. You can tell you're stunned. Yeah, they, I am. they really genuinely do. I have to go look at that, but that is the craziest idea ever. That is the craziest idea ever. It's, it's something like it's a glorified intern program. I think the real answer is is that um, back when Robin had shorts, whenever the kid got old enough that pubic hairs started curling around the outside, Batman just got rid of them rather than dealt with the whole waxing situation. If superheroes have only existed for five years... How has Robin gone through so many... How has Batman gone through so many Robins? That's the question. Answer. Robin is an intern program, and a very intensive one at that. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, God. All right. Well, that looks... But here's the question. It's an intern program. How old is Nightwing? If superheroes have only been around for five years. Right. I know. I mean, these are the questions that people are wondering about and that almost make any no sense. Because I always thought of Nightwing in the current continuity as like, I don't know, 26, 27. Now he's got to be like, what, 19? Yeah, he's got to be like 19. He, yeah. he, he can't be older than that. Or or he's a very old intern. Right. Which I mean, exactly. they could do, I guess. Sure, sure. Absolutely. You know, th- I was thinking, we don't have to leave this part in the podcast, but I was thinking because we only have a few more podcasts before DC relaunches, we should actually do some, have an assignment and do some research and do sort of like our favorite DC stories from like... The last 75 years? Well, see, that's it. I'm like, I'm kind of like, well, I was going to say, or post-crisis or post... You know, it's like where? Like like Crisis on Infinite Earth seemed too far away, Infinity Crisis seemed too near, so I I wasn't sure where to go with that, basically. Uh, Let's bat it back and forth in email. Yeah, exactly. But but we'll figure out something. Anyway, uh, so yes, where we Andrew, Andrew Foley. Andrew Foley asks. <laughs> he actually says, "Wait, I got one, which I love." Uh, it's January two thousand two. DC's New Fifty Two is absolutely tanked. What happens next to the comics industry? Um, it's really scared. Shops close, uh, and DC does as quick a backpedal as they can. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough. Also, Marvel, they... Marvel just becomes like the world's biggest asshole. Right. Yeah, I mean... It, and it, some it... might say, I yeah, don't know right. they could do more of that. We'll just wait. <laughs> if the new 52 tanks, DC will, uh, Marvel will set a whole new record for asshole behavior. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I think that the trick is really going to be that it looks like DC's got enough going on to where September ought to be okay. The problem months are going to be October and November and even December. Um, but I, oh, I, 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 I think the problem months are going to be, I mean, I think October, November, which problem months, I think December, January, February. Oh I, yeah. Well, totally. I, I, I think once you get past like the initial rush of, huh, that's interesting. It's only sure. a couple months in, I could pick up this comics and like, you've got like three months of things to pick up in the past. I yeah. think, I think there's, you've got to get them really quick or you're not going to get them. Well, see, I think you're going to get, you're going to get a rush. It's how many people come back. That's why I think October and November are going to be super crucial. Also, the other thing is, is that for retailers, putting themselves on the line and staking their money on on all this stuff in September is going to be this huge gamble. I feel it's going to pay off for that month. But then comes October. And in October, in theory, every book that you have not sold uh, in the store that month, the previous month, is now being sold for a dollar less on digital formats. So your ability to sell through is is you're having a lot of direct competition against. Or you just drop it a dollar yourself because you're still within your profit margin. It, yeah, just you are. but you are yeah, still yeah, yeah. within your profit margin. Yeah, hopefully, depending on how you're ordering or how things rack out. See, because I think you're not within your profit margin if in investing in 52 new titles, you try and spread yourself too thin all over the place rather than concentrate. I mean, this is it. I And I could be wrong. I haven't talked to Hibs in a while. But I almost feel that a lot of comic book people, retailers, by launching 52 titles... DC has forced them to behave even more kind of like conservative comic book <clears throat> retailers. So you're going to see shitloads of Justice League of America being sold. But like... And here's where, here's where Gus and Ernie dramatically disagree with me. Yeah, they're like, they're like you should definitely talk to Hicks. Yeah. Ever since they've become spokespeople for DC, I find that it's a lot harder to discuss dissenting opinions. It's, it's harder to get to really get an argument going. Because right. they literally will just bark you down. And then if that doesn't work, they'll just lick you. <laughs> it is the licking. It's it's like if more people tried the licking argument, I think more arguments would be won. Uh, anyway, I think I think that there's going to be some scary months going ahead. We'll see how bad January and February is, especially if Marvel leans in with stuff. But interestingly enough, DC. I think DC is kind of – if they are really kind of like, hey, you know what? We're – we're tired. We're just tired of the direct marketplace. We don't feel appreciated, and we're using it as the backbone to help launch digital. I don't know. Like, I can't imagine that that retailers themselves are going to actually put themselves so heavily on the line for stuff because they kind of haven't already. There are all, so many of them are already in the Marvel tank. So I don't. Sure, know. but it's, I, it's kind of a it's kind of a rigged system, though. Right. That's sort of how I feel. Is in a way, it's kind of, but 
but I feel like it's rigged against DC. That's what I mean. So, it's, that's, what, right. I, that's what I mean. It, it's Marvel has almost forced everyone to be in the Marvel camp by saying we're not really going to overprint, and right. we're not really going to reprint either. So right. you've pretty much got to order them on now, and we don't really have a history of being nice to you guys. It's not like we're going to take pity on you. Whereas DC's like, what's that you say? There's an advert in there that's not good high res. Why don't you just destroy those and we'll ship your replacements? Right, exactly. And then, and then like I, I honestly like, think Marvel's uh, DC's kindness in the past is just has always hurt it in the direct market when it comes to orders. Yeah. Um, and I think that it, it there's no reason for any of that to change now. Well, except I think that what happens is I think that in some ways the comic market might be better insulated against DC falling on their face simply because they're not super pro DC. If Marvel stays the course and Marvel doesn't get super crazy and keeps to its usual crackhead business as usual, I think we're not going to see a huge change in 2012. My worry about 2012 is if Marvel decides that they want to steal the public attention level back and try and can come up with another way to do that. You, you, know? don't, you don't think that that will be all they're thinking about right now? I don't know. I mean, I think they feel like... I, I think they do, but the fact that things have been slow has been encouraging to me. Like, they're just... Reali- they're doing... They're doing what they've done in the past, which is new number ones, like the ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales thing took place in the Ultimate Universe, so it's kind of a safe little test tube. Um, yeah, three or four months down the line, I don't know what they'd do if they would. I mean, I just don't think that relaunch, all the if they did a line-wide relaunch, I'm not sure what would happen or how everyone would respond to it. You know what I find very funny? Uh, every time the newsroom has been doing the publishing the sales chart, mm-hmm. since the relaunch has been announced, they've been like, there's been no sales bump for DC. Marvel's holding steady. And all I can think is, but aren't, weren't we all expecting a sales drop for DC because it's not the relaunch yet? Mm-hmm. I, I, feel like, I feel like the reading of the market so far has been really crazy. I think the fact that DC has actually been gaining market share really fucking slowly. But they've been yeah. doing it on these months where... Do you remember when it was announced? Marvel were like, well, why would anyone pick up this? The, why, yes, well, exactly. Others. They don't yeah. count. The fact that DC is still count. managing to gain market share with that oh, yeah. should be worrying to Marvel. Uh, I, or at least I don't, should not yeah. be being looked at as, why isn't DC getting a bump? Right. Well, see, and this is the thing. Why isn't it, why isn't that being looked at? Because I do think that that Flashpoint and even the raft of tie-ins are doing a much better job than I initially would have suspected. Than a lot of commentators were suspecting in the face of the the relaunch. Yeah. and it could be that. Some well, of I, it I, was... I think it's because DC has successfully said Flashpoint leads into the new. Yeah, exactly. And, and they've, I think they've pretty much said how it is. And I'm going to be like, ha, 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 I told you all before the series started. Uh, because it seems to be what I predicted. But, I mean, have you seen that there, there, there's a now a shipping forecast that says, for a, a release from DC that says, there are two pages in Flashpoint 5 that sets up the new continuity? No. Yeah, so they, they've outright said that. They've outright said, there are two pages in Flashpoint 5 mm-hmm. that set up the new 52 mm-hmm. continuity. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's how they've done it. I think they've done it by continually saying, do not ignore these comics. These comics are very important for what is coming up. 
Agreed. And I think that that's, A, that was the way to do it. I think, B, people are taking them at their word, and C, I really hope they follow through on that in the way. So, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think that's a big deal. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, this is the thing. I kind of feel like, again, Marvel has just sort of won for the most part. And unless DC turns around and wins super big, coming not just next month, but in October and November, then I'm not sure that we're really going to see much of a difference in the direct market. See, here's the thing. I, I think Marvel has won. And I mm-hmm. think Marvel has permanently won the direct market. Yeah, exactly. I think the only way DC can win mm-hmm. is to win the digital market. Exactly. Yeah. That's, which is, so, I mean, which that's is why the, the comicsology news today was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, although it's kind of slight. It's just, I mean, maybe I'm misunderstanding it, but isn't it just all the stuff that, that Marvel's now allowing Comixology to sell Marvel Comics through the, the, the Comixology website? Sure, but what it also is, or is mm-hmm. what I understand is, it's also all the comics that are on the DCU are now on the Comixology website. Uh, from, the, I'm sorry, I, the DC? Digital Comics Unlimited, their, their oh, okay. subscription service. Okay, see, that's how I saw the letter, and I'm like, wait a minute, that would be kind of crazy and big, but I'm not sure if I read that right, or if they were just, you know, because they, they, they have added, Marvel no, they, they have added 3,500 comics to mm-hmm. what's already available through Comicsology. Through their web viewer at Comics Comicsology. Okay, so they are. They've moved their digital store into the Comicsology store? Yeah. So the stuff that you could previously only read for a for a um, for a fee for a sort of a rental fee, you can now actually buy on Comixology. Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if that's what it meant, which I was first like, "Holy crap, that's big!" And now I'm like, "Wait a minute, I'm not even really sure if that's what they're saying." <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Yeah, because because they really did seem to be saying like Marvel now available on the web. Uh, for the comicsology, you know, follow up seemed kind of like okay, so it's not that big a deal. And Marvel seems very conservative to me, so I'm not. Mar- I guess Marvel's, I could look. Marvel's whole right. digital thing is is weird, though. Yeah, it's oh, and it's, it's also confusing, which strange. I think is the problem. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, oh, that's big, and I'm like, no, I don't think it is. And frankly, I'm still not sure. So let me maybe <laughs> I should jump over to comicsology and see because it, it, that stuff's on sale now, right? So, yeah. Um, cause if that's the case, like they're going to have like weird, obscure Captain Marvel comics from the seventies and things like that. Not a lot, but I mean, it's, it's actually, I looked at the Marvel story earlier on and there's just hilarious stuff. For example, they've got Captain Marvel, Captain America reborn mm-hmm. and Captain America rebirth. I was like, I don't even know what Rebirth is, but imagine you're coming to this for the first time. And you're like, I, it's it's re something. Which one do I buy? Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. it's horrendously laid out. Yeah. yeah. Or they've got they've got Amazing Spider-Man Volume One and Amazing Spider-Man Volume Two. The comedy mm-hmm. being, Amazing Spider-Man Volume Two contains issues that are actually Amazing Spider-Man Volume One. Yes. No, I know how they split it, and they're trying to figure out. I have to give them some credit for trying to figure out how to make some of this stuff work. Although, honestly, uh, just looking at it, Graham, most of this stuff, to me, looks like stuff, because I follow the Marvel app. See, I, I've not been following the Marvel app, so if it's yeah. all app stuff, then... I, I, 
I can't quite, and I can't quite say for sure, but a lot of this looks like it to me. Whereas I'm not, because I'm not seeing, you know, the weird thing about the digital store was it would have all kinds of weird books, um, but from different eras and stuff. I don't know. I'll have to look through it more closely. But yeah, this is kind of, there's not a lot that's surprising to me here, except maybe the cloak and dagger. I don't know. Um, but like if this Daredevil Volume 1 is like only the first 12 issues or so, yeah, I just think I, I could be wrong, but I really well, that, honestly that, that think... Well, then it's tiny, isn't it? It's not a thing at all. Yeah, it, it's because what happened was Marvel on the Marvel app, because it was doing so well, they they just weren't letting Comixology sell their stuff on the store, where DC is was. Ludicrous. I know, isn't that weird? It was so weird that they were doing that, but um, so I think it's just I think that's just old news. That's wow! Screw you, Marvel! Screw <laughs> you! The first you were in on. Uh, Andrew Foley also asks. Uh, yes. Flip around January two thousand twelve. New fifty two is a huge success. Marvel's got twenty five percent market share. Smaller publishers two percent. What then? Yeah. Then it's the rapture. Then things that's because that's what I, I think. I, I'm freak like out. that's so not going to happen. Right, I, can't. I don't think it will. I, I think we're both in agreement. Yeah, the the, the the direct markets in the tank for direct market is Marvel and always will be. Yeah, I think so. I think so. We'll be really curious to see whether this DC stuff gives them a leg up the, in in the digital newsstand and the digital marketplace, and they're able to make that work. But I honestly think that's where they're shooting for, and I think that's why where they should be shooting. What's kind of fascinating is also is that there's no reporting for digital. So DC can easily just say, well, we're doing great numbers and no yeah. one will ever know. And if they exactly. walk the walk long enough, it'll just work. Mm-hmm. People will just mm-hmm. believe them. People are like, well, Marvel will never catch up with DC digital sales. When for all we know, Marvel is already selling DC digitally. Yeah, for you know all I mean? we know. Right, right, right. Well, well, all DC has to do is be confident and tell everyone they've won. And it will right. eventually become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, see, this is the thing. They have to strike a very careful tone, which is we've won, but we're also looking out for the retailers more than anyone and blah, 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 even though the retailers don't care. Uh, Okay, so what else do we have up our sleeve? Uh, We have Jesse Morgan saying, why do comic writers and editors feel that a swinging single life is best for established superheroes? I think we've already talked about this at some point. I think we have. So I think we're I, – I hate to screw them. I do have to say something though. Um, at some point we should talk about Mad Men Season 4 just because I you know, <laughs> finally watched That's it. It's a crazy non sequitur. I know. Well, but here's where I'm going with this and we'll see if this makes sense. Is I was watching it and I have to say after being so – tortured by January Jones's really terrible impersonation of a human being in X-Men First Class, I was watching an episode of Mad Men where she has gotten ready for bed, and I swear to God, they have her hair flipped. She would be the perfect Sue Storm for a Fantastic Four reboot. If they could somehow make her like an actual human being. And if it could she, make her act, I was going to say, she'd be a great Sue Storm for the Fantastic Four if Sue Storm was unable to act. Was unable to act, was an automaton, that you wanted them to think that Sue Storm was actually a sex robot that Reed Richards had built and couldn't quite work out the kinks on. But I mean, oh my God, her hair and her blue eyes, she was, like the hairstyle had been taken right from the pages of a Kirby Senate Fantastic Four 
page or, you know, they had both been looking at the same issue of, you know, Life magazine from 1964. But it was stunning to me. I was like, oh, my God, she would be she would be Sue Storm if it wasn't for the fact that she's a terrible, terrible actress. Is that actually what you want to say about Mad Men season four? Uh, no, there was some other stuff, but I kind of figured that that would be all that would, would <laughs> suffice for now, considering we've got to, you know, oh, we've been no. talking for hours. Uh, okay. Uh, Alison Candy again asks, uh, what is your favorite flavor of Legion of Superheroes? Original, five years later, reboot, three boots, or sweet and sour? I'm really curious for your answer because I don't even know if you like the Legion. You know, this is a good question. You'd said that previously. I said that to David Brothers because David Brothers also asked what we thought of the Wade Kitson uh, yeah. earlier on. And I I have no... For some reason, I think you don't like or not dislike, but just don't like the Legion. You know, it, this is a really good question because um, I, re- I have incredibly fond feelings of when that enormous giant green space whale like ate Lightning Lad's arm and he got the robot arm and he decided to swear revenge against it and it, it was like the Moby Dick of space like which, that was which, probably written by Jim Shooter when he was I, like 12 and I think it was glue. and yeah. also uh, listeners Jeff's not joking when he says it's called the Moby Dick of space it really is <laughs> the, sto- the story is called the Moby Dick of space <laughs> so so the weird thing so to answer your question in a weird roundabout way I kind of like the Legion of Superheroes. It it it's one of it's a it's a weird turducken of a superhero comic book. You know what I mean? Cuz it's not just a superhero comic book. It's a science fiction superhero comic book set in the far future, you know? So with time travel elements. So it's just like everything's thrown in there, but I, and I've never put this to the test, but I sometimes wonder and you would disagree, and Adam Nave would disagree, and a ton of people would disagree. If there's not a, you're either a Legion fan or an X Men fan, which is part of why I put Claremont and Cock. Oh, on but there. I I've heard this theory many times on of all things the Work Balloon podcast. Ah, okay. See, this is where once again my podcasting ignorance is caught up for me. Yeah, no. So, he, he, uh, John Suntras believes that you're either a Legion fan or an X Men fan. Oh, okay. That is some well, point you make a choice. Yeah. I, I kind of feel that, that for me, the choice was I went with the X-Men. The Legion is fine. It doesn't – like I read those first couple of issues of Wade and Kitson's run. I liked them okay. I liked the Great Darkness Saga okay. I liked the Moby Dick of Space okay. But this, there's something about it that never grabs me the way the X-Men book and the X-Men characters grab me. Like, it just is, you throw in Interlac, you throw in all the characters, you throw in all the soap opera stuff, and I'm not even saying that there's anything wrong with it. It just, at a certain stage, it's just like, it seems more trouble than it's worth for me. See, so, whereas all of that stuff is what brought me to it. Right. Interlac and all those things seemed like Easter eggs that made it more interesting to me. Uh, although, at the same time, I was really into the X-Men from... 185 of Uncanny all the way through 250 or something. Right. And I that was simultaneous with me learning about Legion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think what the schism for me is that X-Men is inherently a more pessimistic book and Legion mm-hmm. of Superheroes is inherently a more optimistic book. Mm. 
Interesting. Uh, I think and and I, I gravitate towards the optimism. I, I and I have think, to admit, I gravitate towards yes. the hokiness as well. Right. You know, I, I would be... F- I wish I'd be inclined to agree with you, but there's something about... Uh, and this is the problem with having starting read, read X-Men from like the earlier run earlier than you, you know, where I stopped around 200, is at, at a certain point, X-Men never recovered from Days of Future Past and began becoming, um, well, and Death of Phoenix. Well, no, and, it's, it's true. It, it, around like the end of the Claremont Byrne era, mm-hmm. it, it shifted significantly yeah. in tone. Yeah, it becomes... It starts getting really concerned with its own importance. Mm-hmm. It becomes super dark and it becomes super grim in a way that, that thinks that it can still intermingle all the laughs and the yuck-yucks and the inherently buoyant sort of all that in sunniness that Cockrum helped bring to it uh, and first time around. And I, I don't think it ever really quite recovered in that way. But, you know, for me, I think the problem with the Legion of Superheroes is just weirdly the fact that it is a bunch of guys and girls who start off a club because they're obsessed with Superboy is both a great idea and an idea that, that fucks it in the ass time and time again. Cause I feel like the Legion of Superheroes, ever since Crisis proved this, is so closely has to it, at its core is tied to Superboy, which, depending on what is happening with DC, what is exactly. happening with the sequel and the shooters, Superboy may not exist. Exactly. So it always becomes this weird, like, on top of everything that it is, inherently it's hinged on another idea, and. When that idea shifts, the Legion of Superheroes has to shift. You know what I mean? So in that sense, it's like the Legion of Superheroes is always a crossover event book, whether it wants to be or not. See, I I agree with you in that that's the way it has been treated, but I don't think that's the way it has to be treated. Mm-hmm. I think if Superboy ceased to exist tomorrow, for example, mm-hmm. right. you just never mention it again. Mm-hmm. Because the super the Legion of Superheroes as exists now, you know, Superboy is not a member. Superboy hasn't really, or Superman hasn't really been. I mean, in the current series hasn't appeared right. at all. Hasn't sure. even been mentioned. Right. So you genuinely could just get away by just pretending nothing has happened, sure, and you're but, fine. And honestly, I think that's the same way to do it. That seems yeah. to, that seems to be what Levitz is doing for the the new reboot, where he's mm-hmm. saying. It's the same continuity. We're just not mentioning Superman until he said, I, right. "We're not mentioning Superman until we know what Grant Morrison's doing." Right. Because yeah. he, he's in charge and he hasn't said what he's doing yet. And I think right. that's that's the way you have to do it. Just yeah. don't mention it. Yeah, but they can't. People can't help it. Like, how long was it before Legion of Superheroes became Supergirl and Legion of Superheroes? Like a year? Yeah, yeah, it was like fifteen issues or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just like, at that point, I'm like, okay, like, there's always the. The elephant in the room, you kind of, you know... No, but I don't, I don't think that speaks specifically to the Legion concept as much as the just slavish needs to recreate past glories the superhero comics in general have. Well, yes, but unfortunately, Legion of Superheroes is tied to Superboy. And again, it is tied to... Just like you said, like Legion of Superheroes, it depends on what Grant Morrison's doing with Superman. Can't you see how that handicaps the book in a way? It's respectful, but isn't it inherently handicapping the concept? Yeah, but you could say that about almost any comic. Sure. 
almost any comic, but you have to say it about the Legion of Superheroes. I get your point. I just disagree. (laughs) (laughs) That's also the consensus. Two things, because we've been asked specifically. One, David Brother asked about Wade uh, Kitson Legion. I really liked it. I don't like Kitson as an artist particularly, but I really liked it almost in spite of him. And I think that Wade's ending is the perfect ending to the Legion. I should go back and read it because I thought his, his ending is a complete throwaway. Like it's maybe two pages, but uh-huh. it is just it's perfect for the Legion. Mm-hmm. His ending is, and it's not a spoiler because it's like a, a, an epilogue. Um, right. A superhero team from the Legion's future comes back and says to Cosmic mm-hmm. Boy, "You're our inspiration. Come and join our super team." That's great. Which is 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 just great. It's the, mm-hmm. the perfect ending. Um, yeah. And my favorite flavor of Legion is the Levitt stuff from the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, so, well, there you go. So, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when they bring it back. Is that, is, is so, is, when she says, is 3 Pete Legion, three, three, is that? 3-boot is the uh, Wade Kitson. Okay, oh, I see, all right. Original is original, five years later is the Giffen stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, Giffen. Re- reboot is the... Wade and Tom Pear, maybe? Reboot post zero hour. Three boots is the Wade kits and stuff. Mm-hmm. And sweet and sour. That's just a tasty, tasty flavor. <laughs> okay, fabulous. We're almost done. Are we? Yeah. Okay. Jerry Sensi says, Hoon Comics is doing it right. Could be a creator, publisher, editor, blogger. Including bricks and mortar retailers as well as digital, doing it right is whatever you take it to mean. Uh, who in, who in comics is doing it right, Jeff Lester? Well, let's face it, nobody. No, what? no, no. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. I'm what? teasing. I'm teasing. You know who I think actually might be doing it right or somewhat right, and I could be completely. It's it's a shame because I've heard, there are other stories that uh, suggest that he is actually doing it wrong, but. I kind of have this feeling that Stephen Wacker over at uh, Marvel, as far as editors go, might be doing it right. I'm thinking that Janine Schaefer's doing it right after realizing that she edits all the Catherine Heminen books and also edits Mystic. I was like, oh, oh she she has she's okay letting teams have their own individual lives. I, 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 I the realization that she edited both books made me think, oh, I kind of want to check out what else she's edited. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would pay more attention to a book that she's edited now. Right. Okay, um, I'll keep who, that in mind. Who is doing it right? Let's think. Uh, I think you know, looking at the titles of what they're publishing and providing that they're actually able to pay everybody and things are all on the up and up. I think Fanagraphics has really been doing a great job of doing it right in terms of. Yeah, Fanagraphics has been on fire. Actually, yeah. the, the um, previews, which I think came out last week or maybe this week. Because I did the catalog really recently. Um, October is just full of really good books. Yeah. October is stunningly full of just really, really good stuff. And September was good as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're in a, an era where every single month has at least one project that you're like, oh, that will be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was, you know, walking walking out of walking out of the cyber coverage of San Diego Comic-Con, I really felt like, yeah, Fanagraphics has a lot of stuff that they're continuing to expand and they're making some interesting choices in their reprint line and they're continuing to sort of 
push as much as, as they can at the boundaries of new stuff that I yeah. think that that's I think that's doing it right. I think IDW is doing it right. Yeah, you know, you've said that, and I IDW is the company that I always want to like, but never never quite manage. You know, the books are kind of expensive. Yeah, um, it's true. They're all three ninety nine. If they could get them down from three ninety nine. Yeah, three ninety nine. They play favorites. You know, I don't think. I mean, and admittedly, some of those favorites may sell, but I honestly think that if they had kept Ashley Wood a little more under control, they'd be do- doing better stuff. Um, wasn't Bob Shrek at IDW for then, for like Blink and you miss it? Yeah, yeah, and that seems a little weird to me, frankly. Although I don't, I'm not quite sure what went I, wrong. I, there. I'm not sure anything went wrong as much as I think Legendary just made him a much better offer. Maybe. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's all Frank Miller. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm sure that that was it. That he's like, this is the editor I want to work with, and that's it. That's all I'm going to work with. Yeah. But, but I don't know. I mean, because that Bill Willing, I was at that ADW press conference when they were pushing that Bill Willingham Gene Ha book, uh, pretty hard, and that's disappeared. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even remember that, and about two or three people recently. Independently of each other, have brought this to my attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, yeah, that's you know. that's a really interesting and weird. Yeah, exactly. It's really strange to me. I mean, there's certainly stuff where it's like I'm like, uh, geez, Legion of Superheroes Star Trek thing is brilliant. No, but like their artist edition books, I think are really good. I, yeah. I think when I was, especially when I was thinking about them doing it right, I think they're really good at breaking news. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I think I think they're very good at breaking news. They and I think uh, they have, I think they have a balanced. Uh, yeah, I think they have a balanced slate. Mm, I guess I suppose I don't necessarily think so. Perhaps um, I think I think generally as far as Dark Horse goes, I think Dark Horse is not doing a lot of things right. But I think Dark Horse Digital is doing a lot of things right. I, I honestly haven't played with it, so I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I like the fact that they bundle their comics on sale, uh, so they lower their prices. I like the fact that they are putting stuff like Finder and Empowered imprint at like cut prices. Like the fact that you can pick up Empowered for five ninety nine a volume on digital and have it on your iPad is, I think, pretty damn good. Uh, Similarly, I think that Dark DC, by putting out their 99-cent tie-in issues for retroactive uh, on, on digital, has made that a destination app for me every Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and also, I think DC, in terms of digital experimentation, is really interesting. I think that the Firestorm issue is coming out two months ahead of the print book. And for 99 cents an issue, the planetary omnibus, I think all of that has been really, really interesting. Yeah, they're experimenting with stuff, and they've been doing it in a way that made me take the bait. And, and they've been doing it really quietly as well, which I really liked. Do you know what I mean? They're not like, look what we're doing. Oh, my God, it's 99 cents. They're right. just like, you know, if you're here anyway, we're doing this, which I actually really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, they're they're definitely trying something. And Dark Horse has been a little more tooting of the horn, but... Uh, you know, but I also appreciate like two two of my bigger purchases last month in the sense of digital were I picked up the Hellboy bundle that was a massive like amount of comics and that planetary bundle and I'm 
and it if nothing else it still has me checking out their digital content a lot whereas like the other day i went to marvel for the first time in forever and was like oh they've got the order the order number one for free here and Wolverine Antimantium Men for, number one for free here. Yeah, you know, I, I I'll never download these. Like I deleted the Marvel app. So I was like, yeah. I'm never going. Everything's really expensive. That's what I, I found when I was looking at the through their stuff today on Comicsology. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's I can't even remember what it was. It's something relatively recent, but definitely not this week. Right. I was like, oh, I might buy that. It's three ninety nine. No, I won't. Well, here's something that's interesting, and I think is a big example of doing it wrong is they had Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine by Jason Aaron and Andy Kubert uh, out, number one, out as a free issue on the Marvel app, like maybe a month or two months after it went on sale. And, And I was like, I downloaded it for free. I liked it so much. I went to Comics Experience and I bought issue two and then I bought issue three. But because I hadn't signed up for it and there was a super long lag... I didn't buy the the last issue. So the other day when I was at the Marvel app looking at various freebie comics and downloading them, they had a little, uh, you know, um, I saw the Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine uh, graphic, and I'm like, oh, this will be perfect. I haven't bought it from Hibs. It's probably sold out because he didn't order a lot of copies. I didn't sign up for it. I know it's been out. I sort of wanted to see how that story turned out. I'll just impulse buy it now on the Marvel app, even if I'm paying, you know, full price. We'll we'll see. But if I'm paying two ninety nine, I'll do it just so that I can get the conclusion of the story. So I click on the graphic image. They only have one issue. Yeah. They only have the one issue. They didn't even put in issues two and three. Yeah, I saw, list the conclusion. I saw that today because I clicked on it because you loved it so much, and then I was right. like, wow, I, I guess I'm not getting that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's to me, that's like, wow, that's kind of doing it wrong, guys. I mean, it does. Yeah, but really... Marvel, Marvel Digital has been doing it wrong for quite some time. Their day so and day too. books, where books haven't been arriving day and day, putting things oh, for three ninety nine or four ninety nine an issue. Yeah, digitally. I, I understand the let's do it the same price as direct market. Then don't do it day and day digitally, yeah. because four ninety nine for a twenty two pages of content mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so I'm really curious to see what they end up doing with digital because, honestly, they've continued to be way too tight and way too mean about it and, and not and not thorough, like really scattershot in a way that suggests that even after doing it for two years or whatever, they're still kind of clueless about it. And I think that's kind of sad and frustrating there you go james doing it right and doing it wrong yeah alison candy for her third question in this q&a <laughs> ladies and gentlemen the order was one of my favorite books ever can we have that matt fraction back please jeff yes uh, or no jeff no david Wilkin asks no wait <laughs> no we we know the answer is no david okay. Wilkin asks except he doesn't ask he says judge dread doubles wolf's pretty hair and canterbury critic uh, and when I asked what he meant by that, he said, I would simply like for you and Lazy Bastard to talk about all three of those things, make it so. Boy. So, let's start with Douglas Wolk's pretty hair. Douglas has great hair. I, he? I'm a balding man. I am jealous of any man who has 
a full head of hair. Douglas hair, it's wavy. It's got a sort of color thing going on. I don't know if he adds highlights or if it's natural. If it's natural, then holy crap, he's doing it well. Um, yeah, I, I, Douglas Holt does have very pretty hair. I, th- I think that's worth pointing out. Yeah, you know, I think that he does. I think that he does. I always wanted to see Douglas Wolk's cosplay as Scott McCloud, though. You know? That would be awesome. Oh, my God. Great. Yeah, there's something where their hair reminds me of one another at different points in time. So. Douglas, if you listen to this, and I don't think you do, but if you are, now we know what you're doing next year at San Diego. John <laughs> Dredd, Jeff Lester? Uh, I'm going to flip my answer uh, from Candle Apple, Candy Apple Alley and say yes. Yes, on Judge Dredd. Okay, Canterbury Critic. Cricket, even. Canterbury Critic is my new DC book. Yeah, wait, what did you say? Canterbury Critic. <laughs> that would be so much better than Canterbury Cricket. Wait, wait, Canterbury you, Critic did, did would you be read, the best. Did you read Canterbury Cricket? No, it's, wait. I, actually, did I? After the, was there ever another issue of it? No, no. There's only the one issue. It's it was just that one shot. Yes, yes. Yeah, it sounds to me like you did read it and realized it was the worst comic ever made, right? You told me it was terrible, and then I think that I actually did read it. Went, <laughs> yup, and yeah. then remembered like none of it because yes, it is. Uh, okay. It's yeah, it's it's appalling. I think that's all we need to be said. Needs to be said about that. And also, it allows me to move on to Bill Reed's spectacular question. Yes. Skinny, bald comic writers versus heavier, beardy ones. Is there a difference in style between the two? Which one is better? I'm just going to say, skinny, bald comic writers, as a skinny, balding man, clearly the better. Yeah, that that is totally true. Whereas, as a guy who would like to be, who's a somewhat heavier and keeps toying you, with you, the you, idea of growing a beard you do you do get close to the beard fairly often yeah i do i i've been i've been i've been flirting with beardishness for a long long time are, are you uh, are you gonna flip or are you gonna go with the opposite side is it point counterpoint yeah that's kind of what i was thinking the whole like jane you ignorant slut uh graham no i i think that it's worth looking at historically i i would i would mind. like to ask this yes. besides grant morrison who is a skinny bald comic writer well, see, this is it. I don't think of Brian Bendis, bless his heart, I know he like oh, Mike Wright's 97 he's, Miles. He's not a skinny man. He looks like yeah. Uncle Fester. Sorry. Yeah, he, he's bald. So I actually think that, I thought the question was really more bald comic writers versus beardy ones. Well, and then, I was like... Then, I mean, beardy ones, you're pretty much setting it up for a, like, Morrison slash Bendis versus Moore slash Jason Aaron. Right. Yeah, who would survive, or like the style-wise? See, well, to me, quite, quite I, clearly, yes, would survive. Yes, right. Yeah, I think you're right. And um, what would happen is Moore and Jason Aaron would eat Bendis and Morrison. Right. To I su- mean, it's always that sort of skinny fat dude thing. Like, just in a battle of, and no one bets on the skinny dude. So it's just it's. It's what they, you know, it's the process that they have to bear as opposed to... It was actually a fight, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And at some point, Bendis is looking at Jason Aaron. And I don't even know if Jason Aaron is heavy or not. But I, for the purposes of my comedy, he is. Right. <laughs> and he thinks he can run away from, from Jason Aaron, right? And he's running away and Jason Aaron just like leaps on him. Right. Bendis has to say... So fast for something so big. I, I can't believe it. Joke and then die. I think we should move on. Josh Tavon says yes. 
I've never really read much Superman, but lately have inexplicably felt compelled to pick up some while diving through back issue bins, starting with Burn. Also, planning to check out Simonson and Bogdanov, Bogdanov? Stuart Eminem and Azarello. Any other runs you could recommend? I'd like to start it off by saying skip Azarello. Yeah, Just definitely. Don't, don't, don't do it. Friend. Right, yeah. Um, sure, pick up Chris Roberson's Grounded Issues. Yeah, I think those like, are genuinely genuinely pick them up. Uh, All Star Superman. All Star Superman is great. Uh, All Star Superman is fantastic. I'm I again I'm a big fan. They're not in color, but the the black and white showcases of the Silver Age Superman stuff is just kind of so pure in terms of kind of taking setting up a bunch of weird somehow interconnected themes and just playing them out issue after issue after issue in different ways that are somehow all the same it's kind of it's it's hypnotic honestly like the, it, the silver age superman stories are like yeah are, are really really great um yeah. oh back issues uh joe kelly's action comic front uh joe, yeah joe kelly's action comic front is actually really good yeah, I thought th- I thought his stuff was really. He did a great job walking the line in a way that wasn't dull. Where it was like you always thought that he was basically going to sell out Superman, but he always did a way of making you realize he knew what actually made the character work. I yes, guess. and also you know? he had some great artists on there. Pascal Ferry yeah. had a really long run on, on his action. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, what else back issue wise? Jerry Ordway's uh, uh, Superman screen. You know, a lot of people thought it was dull, but I I really loved Jerry Ordway's Adventures of Superman for about fifty years there. I it's interesting for because, about fifty years because you know I know was, I know he was on there for a while, but fifty years it, it wasn't. But I, I might have meant to say issue because I realized that I had read for the first time ever the 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 group pitch for the Superman titles that uh-huh. that Miller and um, Morrison Wade and Payer, etc worked on and one of the things that they kept it looked like they kept really taking digs not so subtle stabs at Jerry Ordway's Adventures of Superman you know because it really was like honestly there's a place for romance in Superman titles but it should not be whatever Jimmy Olsen's mom is doing or whoever it was that they that was like some character of Suicide Slums that that was heavy it was Alice Alice <laughs> was the one who lived in Suicide Slums. But no, if you actually, if you're a Kirby fan, um, oh god, after yeah. Burton left and Ordway basically became like the head writer, there's lots of Kirby in there. Mm-hmm. Do you, do yeah, you remember no. that era? There, there really yeah, yeah, yeah. is a lot of Kirby. Um, and was it Ordway or was it Carl Kessel? No, Carl Kessel didn't come on until Ordway left writing. Oh, okay. Because Kessel Ord- also Ke- did Kessel a ton of, of- especially in Superboy. Mm-hmm. Kessel's Kessel and Gummit's second Superboy run. Mm-hmm. Did, did you read that when it came out? No, I didn't. No, no, no. Oh, it's it's the Superboy run you've always wanted to read. Hmm. It's honestly, what if Jack Kirby was doing Superboy? Yeah, I would have to check. He, that out. He compl- I'm, I again, I'm really sad that stuff's not being reprinted because, especially the DC One Million issue, mm-hmm. where it's Superboy and Superboy One Million is Omac. It's Superboy Omac. He's got, <laughs> he's got the Mohawk and every, he's got the Mohawk and really. Oh, I'm so sorry, I missed that. What a shame. Uh, I totally no, no, would pick that up in a heartbeat. Uh, Kessel and Gummit, at that point, were really just like, what can we do to channel Kirby every single issue? Right, right. That's that's brilliant. And so they're like, because when Hypertime came about, for example, Superboy was the first book to do Hypertime. 
because they're like, hey, we've got this great idea. Let's just send Superboy into multiple different realities as quickly as possible. Right. I liked uh, to to jump things uh, dramatically. I I liked the early Siegel Schuster stuff too, where it's Superman can only leap over buildings and he's always like busting up crooked industrialists and stuff like that. Like the first few years before it turns into like the toy related villain of the month, like the stuff where they're fighting crooked dudes is kind of always great. Yeah, I it's, it's I really dynamicism, like- you know. So yeah, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good Superman stuff out there. There's just a lot of bad dull stuff too. Yeah, like, that's that's the problem. I think at some point people got really concerned for a better way of putting it about making sure Superman isn't offensive. Yeah, and, or and he's it came so the, iconic. It came, yeah, it came at the cost of Superman being interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, although again, you know, I know some people who really love like the Elliot S. Magan, Kurt Swan years. I w- I would love to read that stuff, but I didn't really. The stuff you know I, mean? like, I read, again, yeah. If, if that came out as a, you know, if they put out showcases of that, I'd probably pick them up and enjoy them. Right. I don't know. A lot of this stuff kind of bored me. Like, even when it was interesting, I had interesting ideas. I always thought the execution was so bland. But that could just be me. I was way, way, way in the tank for Marvel back then, so. Garrett um, Berner asks, and this might actually be the final question. Uh, which of the stronger influence in the new 52 costume redesigns video games or the legal department? <laughs> the first response to that is wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and the second the, the second uh, response is why not both? Yeah. The third response really is Jim Lee loves the 1980s doesn't he? And pockets. <laughs> I, so you don't see this these questions from Dave Extreme? No! just one. It's it's again. God damn you, Twitter! It's a it's. He said this quote from Community had Dan Harmon rehiring women, Ray hiring women. I see a lot of resonance there with regard to DC's hiring of women. There's great writers oh, out there to be found. I, I saw this earlier. This is um, Dan Harmon talking about how uh, NBC's president essentially told him to have half his writer staff be women. Yes. And he, complains until he got them and then he was like it's great right and he's like now that he doesn't have to do it and a lot of them have left he wants to do it again and i was kind of like i thought that was that was a really great response um i will have to say that i think that um and, and i'm sure everyone already knows this so this is not news but if anyone wants to read to me what feels like the equivalent of comics journal interviews from the 70s they're pretty much on the AV club with TV showrunners walking people through their entire season. Oh, like, they're great. The, the Dan Harmon one for Community Season 2 is spectacular. Spectacular. But, you know, Michael Schur's for Parks and Rec is fabulous. Oh, too. I've not read that, but I think I know you what I'm should to be read doing it. when oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. showcase trial of Flash. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. There, There is just a ton of great... You know, Harmon's an amazing personality, and so it makes the read just so challenging and fascinating and candid. Michael Schur's is a, a lot more kind of just like, here's how you solve problems, and here's sort of classic ideas about TV that you're running with and working with. It's a really great piece about sort of how a philosophy about what you want to do for a show, how it gets played out. 
So, and, and is also incredibly generous with talking about where a lot of your favorite lines came from. So those are fantastic. I really hope that there's more of those done at, at length. So, Talking um, of television shows, um, I've just been sent a link to something that's fascinating. AMC fired Frank Darabont. Really? It, I'm it, not sure it, if I believe it. It has broken. It is in the Hollywood Reporter. Wow. They, they have details. What did they say? Um, Can you read that part yet or no? I, I'm, I'm looking through very, very quickly. Because I'm fascinated. Yeah, this way, the, yes. the, the lead above the story itself essentially says that he was fired while working on an episode that the director turned in uh, unusable footage. See, yeah, I'm not sure I believe that, frankly. Maybe it's true. I mean, here's my... Let, let's talk. Let's talk about it's, perception. Okay, so I see it for a second. Uh, what remains the central mystery, even so closely involved, is what triggered AMC's move to fire Darabont. Right. Right. So my theory, my theory, and I could be totally wrong, is as you know, AMC went through huge talks to re-sign Mad Men, uh, and as far as I can tell, and I could be wrong, AMC overspent. Like they spent oh, too much money. From what's been going on with Breaking Bad and, and Walking Dead, it definitely seems that way. Exactly. So essentially what has happened is AMC has pump, pumped a lot of money into several series. They are committed to – and basically they turned around and decided that they had to trim things back. Now, depending on which person you believe, either the Mad Men deal, they ended up walking out of the Mad Men deal with so much of their money tied up to Matt doing another season of Mad Men that they then turned to Breaking Bad and Walking Dead and said, you guys have to trim things back. Or alternately, I personally think that AMC was like, we're overspending, we've been told to, to, to cut things back, and has proceeded to try and strong-arm dudes that they'd offered tremendous amounts of creative freedom to. And I think Frank Darabont was did a "you're going to let me do this or I'm going to walk" kind of thing, and AMC went, "Okay, you're going to walk," and and then is now it, it, it looks like what their their the AMC plan is <laughs> for this, the second season. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many people like the second season. Well, eight, why? Epi- What's eight episodes plan? to shoot each episode. Eight, sorry, eight days to shoot each episode. Eight days? eight days? How can you shoot eight months? I mean, that's crazy for a production-heavy thing. Like, Par- apparently, know four, could do four days inside and four days outside. Wow, that is well. Okay, I also I still think they could pull it a, off. Yes, and AMC notes couldn't the audience hear the zombies and not see them to save on makeup. Right. Yep. See, that's what I think they're going for. Is I think they decided that they had to cut the shit out of all these things. Darabont, who worked in who had worked in film and not TV, was like, "I'm not going to sacrifice the quality of my stuff." And basically, did a, "This is going to happen, or I'm going to walk." Or alternately, he turned in the unusable stuff with something that he shot to show them how bad it was going to do as a fuck you, and they just canned him. But I think that Breaking Bad, just the fact to me, just the fact that Mad Men, Breaking Bad. And Walking Dead are have all had in, like bad times of it in the news. I it really seems like the connecting tissue there is AMC more than I mean more than anything else. Yeah. looks like a mess. Yeah, so I think maybe the truth the truth is probably somewhere in between. But that's what I think. Um, 
Also, I think Dan Harmon has a really good point about hiring, uh, you know, that he had to dig deeper to find, do more interviewing to find great female writers just because there are less writers there in television than men. So you just have to dig harder to find the good stuff. Yeah. I think that that's true of comics. I think that comics, for the most part, does nobody wants to dig. Honestly, I, I really well, no, think it, that's I think that's nice. really, really, really true. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think people, editors, there's, there's actually a, who was I listening to? Jonathan Hickman's San Diego panel is available as a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he says, this is his way of looking at the world. Marvel editors, or Marvel assistant editors, he said. He actually made a point of saying assistant editors. Mm-hmm. Get higher up in the company by reading indie books and taking the talent from those to Marvel. Yeah. He used that as as an example of Marvel discovering talent. Mm -hmm. And he then says that's not the way things work at DC. Which is telling in both ways. Mm -hmm. One, that assistant editors reading image books counts as scouting for talent. Mm -hmm. And two, that DC doesn't even do that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... I, (laughs) Man, I remember. I remember. Like once I like. Oh, I've I've published a story with Boom, an eight-page story. I got my foot in the door, you know, and running around and having people go, "Yeah, eight-page comics don't really cut it anymore because it doesn't really show that you know how to handle a full issue or extended arcs." Or I'm like, "Oh my God!" Like it really is. Like if you want a show reel, you have to make a show reel for yourself now. It really seems like so. Yeah. Um, so, oh no, yeah. that, that, that's what Higgins says. All right, he says, mm-hmm. you want to break into comics as a writer? You have to make a comic. Yeah. Yeah, I, and he's totally correct about that. Um, I I sadly think that he is true. Uh, although, who knows? Maybe that's not the case. Uh, maybe we'll see more works from other people. I think it's interesting that that means to me that, uh, as far as I can tell, a lot of female creators tend to con- do... I feel like they're they're a stronger force in web comics now than even in yeah. indie comics. Yes. yes, definitely. So I think that that's that either means that it's going to be harder for women to come into the market, or I mean, on the other hand, because of things like Strange Tales, uh, you know, Keith Beaton's Keith Beaton's got stories about working with Marvel, and she's like, "Yeah, it was great," and I'm like, "Huh." I just, I don't know if that's necessarily like... <laughs> no, but I mean, here's the thing. It's not necessarily true because Marvel has the alternative way of breaking into comics, which is be the friend of one of the writers. Yeah. Like, think of um, Dennis Hopeless, the guy who's mm-hmm. writing, I think it's X-Men Season 1, mm-hmm. and he's writing Legion of Monsters. Mm-hmm. I mean, Legion of Monsters is not a high-profile series. X-Men Season 1 is a high-profile book. Right. And he has published, according to his website that I'm just looking up right now, um, two comics, mm-hmm. neither of which you've ever heard of, Gearhead and Lushdrug. Yeah. However, he's getting a high-profile DC gig, a uh, Marvel gig, because he knows Jason Aaron. He's friends with right. Jason Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, so that, that's that's the way to break in. Be but that that's been the that that goes back a long ways. I mean, oh, that's God, just no, no, the definitely. way, as we know. So, unfortunately, I would like to. Yeah, that's always going to be the case, and um, we just that's that's how things are. Um, but you know, I don't know, Jake. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly, my friend. Well, so that is it. We did a slew of questions, and it only took us nine and a half hours. So I think we should congratulate. Fifty years. <laughs> Approximately the same time it took Jerry Ordway to write all of Adventures of Superman. So you know, I, I congratulations. No, seriously, I, I think like we wrapped this up another three. Mm-hmm. I'd like to point out that Jerry didn't actually write Adventures of Superman for that long because he moved over to Superman really quickly. <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Your joke is ruined by the truth. Uh, that's, well, that's the way it is. My life is ruined by the truth, <laughs> sir. All right. Well, on that I think, on, <laughs> Brilliant. brilliant. I'm, I'm going to keep saying that forever. Yep. Uh, so thanks for listening, listeners. Uh, thanks for your questions, and uh, we will be back next week. And, we'll and we be... might have read comics. If nothing else, I am going to run out and buy Showcase Travel Flash. So everyone who's looking forward to me raving, <laughs> almost almost certainly raving, about a 30-year-old storyline in which Barry Allen is put on trial for the murder of a character who's already back to life. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I like the little snap in there. Yeah, I'm also planning on going to the store. So yeah, let's see. Let's see what next week brings. Yes. Yeah. I love how I was like, I'm planning going to the store as if like that's a really big deal. Other people are all saying, wait, you're you're, that's a thing for you? Going to the store is a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And and it kind of is. Sometimes it is. Although, frankly, I've had a lot of material. Like, again, the Planetary Omnibus or that Hellboy bundle that I was like, ooh, and I bought it. I'm so happy. Still, I haven't read it. I've actually been reading books and not not enough comic books lately. So I suck. What can I say? I will try to have that corrected by next next week's episode. Sure. Yeah, that's what you say now, Jeff. 